If you have your Bible today, I invite you to open to the book of Psalm. Psalm chapter 121. I know, some of, some of you are surprised. So, oh, did you say the wrong book? Am I in the right place? Is this really Zach standing before us today? You didn't say 1 Thessalonians. We've been saying 1 Thessalonians for a while, and we're going to continue to say that. Uh, we got a couple more chapters left in 1 Thessalonians, but um, I've had a passage of Scripture on my mind for... Um, really for a couple of months now, and um, it's just, it just keeps popping up in my mind, and I've read it and, uh, and, and looked at it, and, and I've wanted just to spend a little bit of time um, walking through this passage of Scripture with my church family, with you. Um, to, the title of today's message is Looking for Help, Looking for Help, Psalm chapter 121. We're going to begin by reading from God's Word. So if you found it in your copy, I encourage you to follow along as I read. This is the Word of God. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever seen a little child wearing a shirt that says something like, in case of emergency, call 1-800-GRANDMA? Maybe maybe you've given a grandchild that. Maybe you had one as a kid. I think I had one. Mine said, call 1-800-MIMI. That's why I called one of my grandmas as Mimi. I remember remember having a shirt like that. Um, Or maybe maybe the shirt says, when life gets tough, call, call grandma. Now, if you were to ask grandma about that shirt, she would say something like, that's right, darling. You can call me any time, day or night, and I will be there to help you. Now, what we really know that shirt means, if we're honest, that shirt means whenever I'm not getting my way, I'll call Grandma because she'll give me whatever I want. Now, at least on my side of the family, that shirt would have to say, I'll call my Gramps because he'll give me whatever I want. And he's here today, so I can say that, and I'm not talking about him behind his back. Now, if we're honest and we say that's what that shirt really means, you know what all the grandmas in the room say? And gramps and grandpas and all the rest? They say, that's right, darling. You call me any time, day or night, and I will be there to help, a.k.a. spoil you, right? But let's pretend for just a minute. Let's pretend for just a minute that that shirt is actually talking about needing actual help, not just wanting to be spoiled. If so, then that shirt is an admission by that child that he is going to face hard times in life and he is going to need help. It's an admission of that. And it is a declaration that he already knows who to call on for help. I know who to call. I'm calling my grandmama. I'm calling my granddaddy. That's who's going to help me. If our passage today was a shirt, it would say, when I need help, I look to Jesus. Or better yet, better yet, more accurately, it would say, because I always need help. I always look to Jesus. 
Today's passage is an admission that we face difficulties in life. Life, and I don't have to tell you this, you know it, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Life is not a bed of roses. It's not. We're constantly in need of help. But our passage is also a declaration that we know who to look for for the help that we need. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to encourage you today to keep looking for Jesus because Jesus is keeping you. Keep looking to Jesus because Jesus is keeping you. Our days are full of difficulties. The road of life is tattered with hardship. Sometimes these come in the form of trials and are obviously times where we would say, I need help in this, in this time, in this moment. Sometimes the, those hardships are disguised as the good and easy times of life where even then evil is lurking around every corner. And so my plea is that we as believers in Christ would keep looking to Jesus because Jesus is keeping us. If you're not a Christian here today, then you too are in need of help and Jesus can help you. But I've got to say this, you're in a dangerous place because right now, if you are not a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is not keeping you right now because he only keeps those who are his. And so if that's you today, then what you need to do is you need to you need to allow the Lord to work through this passage to draw your heart to look to Jesus for the very first time so that Jesus can then begin keeping you so that you can have him as your helper in this life, one to whom you can call upon. But you've got to trust in him through repentance and faith in order to belong to him. The psalm before us today is, 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 is called a song of ascents. You may have a little subtitle there um, at the beginning of this psalm, a psalm, a psalm of ascending. It's likely that it was one of a collection of psalms sung by the Jews as they went up to Jerusalem to worship God. Some have suggested that it was a song that they sung as they were leaving Jerusalem, leaving the temple and going out, traveling back home. Either way, I think it's best interpreted in the context of travel. Whether it was the Jews heading to Jerusalem to worship God or leaving Jerusalem with a desire to continue worshiping God with their lives, or whether it's you and me as God's people today desiring to live for God as we travel through the twists and turns of life, all of our journeys in life will find us in need of help. And this psalm is a great reminder and encouragement to look to the one true God who is always watching over us. First thing I want you to notice in this passage is this. We will find ourselves looking for help throughout our lives. We will find ourselves looking for help throughout our lives. Now, you might say, well, that's, (laughs) wow, we're really getting deep today, Zach. That's a pretty shallow statement. Well, I know it is a shallow, but, but, you know, you can drown in shallow water if you're not paying attention. Sometimes seemingly shallow statements can be very impactful because we often forget the obvious. And so we often need to be reminded of simple truths, especially because our hearts are so prone to have pride in, our, in, in them where we don't like to admit that we need help. We think we can fix it all on our own. The truth is, though, that we are needy. That's the simple truth here. We are needy. We stand in need of help. This psalm opens with a statement and question in verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? It's an admission of needing help. We don't know exactly what kind of help uh, was needed as, as, as the individual Jews would sing this song. 
Perhaps it was physical help for the journey as they traveled to Jerusalem or left Jerusalem. There's hills all around Jerusalem there, and they were dangerous places. There were lots of places to stumble and slip and fall along the way. There were thieves and there were wild animals. Their physical path uh, on that journey was wrought with danger. And yet, the thing is, you don't have to be traveling through the hills around Jerusalem or any other hills for that matter in order to find yourself facing dangerous obstacles. In fact, facing danger, uh, obstacles that are more dangerous than simply physical obstacles. The dangers along our path might be a relationship that's on the brink of destruction, a boss who is overbearing, a stack of bills that keeps piling up, a, a habit that is polluting your mind or your body, bitterness in your heart towards someone who has wronged you, the, the pain of a wayward child, a, a bad report from the doctor, a, a lack of self-control of your words, friends who might be pulling you in the wrong direction, an email saying that your position at work is getting cut, feelings of anxiety and depression, loneliness, grieving the loss of a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend, uh, infertility, the divorce of parents, the burden of caring for a sick family member, the struggle of being married perhaps to an unbelieving spouse, difficult end-of-life decisions for you or for someone that you love, fear of living each day in a world that's so full of sin and brokenness and uncertainty, and the list could just go on and on. And those are just the, the bad things, right? The things that we wish we could avoid. What about some of the good times in life? What about handling success without falling into pride or resisting self-reliance when things are going exactly the way that I want them to? Or running from arrogant thoughts when I see someone who I consider not as blessed as I am? If we can just be honest, the truth is that, that we are surrounded by pitfalls, opportunities, to, to fall away from the Lord. Now, our lives are full of situations, circumstances, and feelings, and emotions, and people, and problems, and successes, and failures, all of which present us with an opportunity to either choose what is right or to choose what is wrong. To, to fall into sin or to excel into holiness. And left to ourselves, we will always gravitate towards sin and therefore hopelessness. As one of the great hymns of our faith says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Probably one of my all-time lines from any song that's ever been written outside of the songs in God's Word. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You ever feel, do, you, do you ever feel like that? <laughs> Wretched person that I am. Who, who is going to help me? Who is going to help me? Our lives as broken people living in a broken world could be summed up with this question. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Brothers and sisters, we will find ourselves looking for help throughout our lives. So don't let that surprise you. Don't be troubled by that truth. Be willing to admit that you need help in this life. But then make sure you know where to look for the help that you need. I don't believe the psalmist is asking this question because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking this question to get us ready for the answer. He's setting it up. He's not saying, oh, no, oh, no, I need help. Where in the world am I going to find some help? He's not saying that. Instead, he's saying, I am a man in need of help. Do you want to know where my help comes from? Do you want to know where I look in times of need, which is every moment of every day? I know, I know, I'm confident in where my help comes from. I know where to look. Let me, let me share that with you. And he does so in verse 2 and throughout the rest of this psalm. The second thing I want to share with you is this. We must look only to God, our creator, as the source of our help. 
We must look only to God, our creator, as the source of our help. After posing the question in verse one, the psalmist answers confidently, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where where does my help come from? You want to know my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and who made the heavens and earth. We we need to always remember when we see that word Lord there, um, when you see it in all caps in your in your uh, Bible, it's, it's not really the word Lord. It's really the name of God that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush, that name Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. That's. He is calling out the name of this very specific God. That's important for us to remember because we need to remember he's not just looking to any God. He's not just looking to any Lord. He looks to the very specific eternal creator God who is the one and only true God. As he lifts his eyes to the hills, he is looking to the creator of those hills for his help. He didn't look to the false gods worshipped by all the nations around him. He didn't look to any earthly king. He didn't look to himself or to other people around him. All of those are part of creation. Instead, he looked to the God who created all things. And just like in the psalmist day and time, there were lots of wrong things that he could have looked to in creation for help. The same is true for us today. Just consider all the ways the world around us looks to creation instead of to the creator for help and consider let's be humble and teachable let's consider how easy it is even for us as followers of jesus to 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 begin to look to the things of this creation instead of to our creator for help now some people turn very literally to creation uh in a very literal literal way through animistic practice practices animism is the belief that created things such as animals and plants and mountains and oceans have spirits and we've got to appease them so that they will be for us rather than against us this belief is seen in various cultures around the world um, including like african tribal religions uh, native american uh, religious practices Um, that's just a couple examples Some turn to creation in the form of ancestors, those who have gone before them. I was watching a a cartoon movie with with uh, with my daughters uh, recently, and the movie was set in an Asian culture and uh, they were praying to their ancestors uh, for for help. I know that that's an accurate depiction. I've seen it personally. I've been to that country before where this movie was set and and I've witnessed them uh, uh, calling out to their ancestors for help. It's heartbreaking because no help can come from those to whom they are praying for help from. Now, perhaps some of us have been tempted with those wrong ways of looking for help, but probably most of us would say, ah, listen, I've never done, I've never participated in those things. Uh, Maybe you have, but most of us would probably say, I've never looked in those places for help. But, I mean, that's good. I'm glad of that. But that doesn't mean we're innocent of looking for help in the wrong places. Um, Just look around you and maybe inside of you and see how quickly we often turn to creation rather than the creator for help, even if it's not something formal like animism or, or uh, ancestor worship. Just think about it for a minute. Some look to illegal drugs. Some look to unhealthy amounts of legal medication. Some look to pornography. Some look to an extramarital sexual fling. Some look to a job and career. Some look to overeating. Some look to a hobby. Some look to alcohol. Some look to education. Some look to a relationship. Some look to acceptance by a peer group. Some look to money. Some look to just filling their lives with busyness. Uh, Some look to an earthly government. Some look to physical fitness. Some look to self-help books and and self-help gurus. And 
Again, the list could go on and on and on. Now, some of those things are inherently evil. Those are bad things any way you look at them. Some of those things are just neutral. They're neither good or bad. It kind of depends on what we do with them. Some of those are actually good things, right? I mean, some of those are actually good gifts from the Lord to us. But the problem is all of those things are bad if we look to them to provide us with the help that only God can provide. We must never exchange the creator for his creation. And why would we? Who is more capable of watching over us and sheltering us and protecting us and keeping us along life's weary path? The creation or the one who spoke creation into existence? Charles Spurgeon said it well when he said, Jehovah, who created all things, is equal to every emergency. Heaven and earth are at the disposal of him who made them. Therefore, let us be very joyful in our infinite helper. He will sooner destroy heaven and earth than permit his people to be destroyed. And the perpetual hills themselves shall bow rather than he shall fail, whose ways are everlasting. We are bound to look beyond heaven and earth to him who made them both. It is vain to trust the creatures. It is wise to trust the creator. But in looking to the Lord and looking to Yahweh, the one true God for help, we are not looking to an impersonal God who may or may not be there to help us, may or may not hear us when we cry to him for help. No, that's not the case at all. In looking to the creator God, we are looking to one whom the psalmist describes no less than six times in the rest of the psalm as one who keeps those who belong to him. One who keeps. That's an active word. It's not, a, it's not a God who is removed from us and just watching us cry out for help, but is not intervening in our lives. He is a God who is keeping us. The third thing I want you to know from this passage is this. We should look to God for help because he keeps us like no other. We should look to God, this creator God, the one true God for help, because he keeps us like no other. Once the psalmist has asked the question in verse 1 and given the answer in verse 2, he spends the final six verses of this psalm giving reasons as to why he chooses to look to the Lord for help. And these reasons center around this word keep. The word keep used here can mean to watch over, to protect, to guard. You may see some of those words in your translation, but it's the same word repeated six times in this passage. Once in verse 3, once in verse 4, once in verse 5, twice in verse 7, and once in verse 8. I think the psalmist is trying to tell us something. I think God is trying to tell us something about how he loves and watches over his children. I want to point out to you four ways in which God is unique in his ability to keep us. And Church, my desire, my hope is that these things will deepen your desire to look only to the one true God for help. The first is this. God keeps us like no other because his watch is constant. God's watch over us is constant. We see this in verses three and four. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, as I said earlier in this sermon, as you know from God and as you know from God's word and as you know from personal experience, our lives are full of obstacles that would cause to slip and slide and that that would cause our feet to be moved along this path of life, moved from worshiping the Lord, loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Sometimes they come out of nowhere. And so we never know when we might need to call on God for help. Our problems don't don't just exist nine to five. I mean, they're they're 24 seven. They're all the time. 
But here is good news for us. There is never a time, church, when God is not watching over us because he is a God who never slumbers or sleeps. He is always watching. He is always standing guard. He is always keeping us. No other God, no other created thing is like that. Do you remember that just awesome story back in, in, uh, in, in the Old Testament, book of 1 Kings, chapter 18, when the prophets of Baal are trying to call down fire from heaven? You remember the challenge? Elijah's going to call down fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal are, are trying to call down fire from heaven. And Elijah, the prophet of God, mocked them because no fire was coming down. You remember what he said? He said, maybe you should call louder because your God might be asleep. He mocked them in other ways, too. But that was one of the things he said. And he wasn't just making that up. I mean, they're, they're believed that their gods had to do things that humans have to do. And say, hey, maybe your God's asleep, but not the maker of heaven and earth. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's not like the soldier keeping watch. You must switch out during the night with another soldier because the first soldier is starting to get sleepy. God is not like that. He is never overcome by sleep. His watch is constant day and night. As verse six says, God is keeping us church. Our keeper never rests from watching over us. And so we can find rest for our souls, even when the path of life is full of things that might cause us to stumble and fall. Nothing in all of creation can compare to this God. But that's not all. Secondly, God keeps us like no other because His shelter is impenetrable. Impenetrable. You know what that word means? It means you can't penetrate it. You can't get through it. It's like a bulletproof glass. You, you can't get through that. All right. His shelter over us is impenetrable. We see this in verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Once again, we see this word keeper, but we also have another word that says God is a shade or or you could say a shelter, which is on your right hand. What, what's the psalmist talking about here? here? Well, let's start with the right hand part. The, the, the right hand of someone is where their bodyguard would walk. All right. The right the right hand is where the protector would be. And, and, and both the sun during the day and the moon at night can be oppressive to a traveler. Obviously, the sun can cause heat exhaustion and sunburn and harm to your eyes, but it's often been believed that the moon can cause certain ailments as well. So the psalmist is saying that God is our shelter or protector, and he is right. It's my right side, okay? I know it's your, your left, but my right side. He's right where we need him to be. He's right where the bodyguard, right where the protector should be. And he is providing for us this shade from that those things in life that would oppress us and weigh down on us and cause us to stumble and fall along life's journey. He is a shelter which cannot be penetrated by the storms of life. Now, this is not a promise that the sun and moon will never beat down on us. Just like verse 4 is not a promise that our feet will never walk on dangerous paths. The Christian life is not one that is free from trials and difficulties and schemes of the enemy, but it is one that is able to enjoy the constant watch and impenetrable shelter of the creator God and the rest that comes along with that. I love Psalm chapter 91 verse 1 it says this, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. Love the word picture. Psalm 91, Psalm 121. Friend, is there some situation in life that is just beating down on you like the summer sun? Making you weary in this life? If so, then let me ask you, are you seeking refuge under the shelter of God? Or are you looking to someone or something else to provide the relief and protection and stability and rest 
in your life that you long for. Nothing in creation can compare to our God. The third, we see here that God keeps us like no other because His protection is complete. His protection is complete. Now, I don't mean complete as in it's all over. <laughs> it's finished. It's all done. There's no more, no more protection left for us. I mean complete as in whole perfect, not lacking in any way. Like, like when you look at a table that's holding a seven-course meal and, and, and you say that is a complete meal. You don't mean the meal is over. You mean everything is there that you need to nourish your body. Everything is there to enjoy a satisfying meal. The cook didn't leave anything out. It's a complete meal. That's what I mean here when I say his protection is complete. It's everything that we need. Look at verse 7. It says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. God is able to protect you from all evils. Not some, not most, but all. That means the small ones that you go through in life. The small difficulties and the great ones. Both now and into the future. No matter the size of the trial. No matter when the temptation comes. The Lord will keep you. But his protection is not just complete in regard to what he can protect you from. It's also complete in regard to what parts of you he can protect. That second phrase in verse 7 is important. It says he will keep your life. That word life is literally the word soul. It's the, it's the most essential part of who we are. In other words, if God is going to protect the most essential part of who you are, then you can rest assured he's going to protect the other parts as well. Right? Uh, he, he is protecting every aspect of our lives from that which is evil. And so we see this truth in verse 7, that God's protection of us is complete. Church family, this should drive us to abandon looking to anything else in creation for the help that can only come from God. One theologian said it this way. He said, we need this truth rooted in our hearts so that, quote, we may bid adieu. I'll say that by saying, say adios. All right? Say, see you later. We may bid adieu to all the vain confidences of this world. We just need to say goodbye to all the things that we turn to that doesn't fall into the category of the one true creator, God. Nothing in all creation can, can compare to him. And then there's a fourth one. God keeps us like no other because his keeping power is eternal. I love this one. I love it. His keeping power is eternal. Verse 8 says, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. As though it were not enough to say that God is the creator of heaven and earth and that his watch over us is constant and his shelter over us is impenetrable and his protection of us is complete, we get this final description of the way God helps us eternally. He helps us eternally. The, the phrase there, you're going out and you're coming in, is just to refer to everything in life. Like you're just moving about day to day life. You're going out and you're coming in. So throughout each day, both now and throughout all of eternity, no matter our circumstances, we can rest in God's keeping power. Now, I use the word power intentionally here. We don't see the word power here in this passage. But it must be understood that God is all powerful and his ability to keep us if he is able to do so for all of eternity. You see, the reason, church, that, that 
the, the, the only way that we can be kept for all eternity is if we live for all of eternity. This doesn't make sense if we don't live for all of eternity. How can God keep us? How can we be kept if, if we don't live for all of eternity? And the only way we can be kept by God, if he's the one doing the keeping, the only way we can be kept by God for all of eternity is if we live in God's presence for all of eternity. Now, the only way we can live for all of eternity is to overcome death. Which some would argue, and I would agree, is the greatest trial that we would face in life. But not only that, the only way we can live in the presence of God is if we've been cleansed from our sins. And the problem is, we don't have the power to overcome death, and we don't have the ability to cleanse ourselves from sin. So the only way He, God, can keep us for all of eternity is if He has the power to overcome death on our behalf in such a way that we are cleansed from our sin. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I can declare to you today confidently that God is powerful to keep you for all of eternity because the same God who spoke heaven and earth into existence stepped out of heaven and came to earth as a human and proved his power over creation and proved his ability to push back the darkness and mend the brokenness and heal the sickness and break the curse which has left us in such desperate need of help. He hinted at this power by calming storms and multiplying food and giving sight to the blind and raising the dead to life. But he proved his power to cleanse us from sin and to give us life with him beyond the grave when he bore our sins in his body upon the tree. And when he stepped out of that tomb, resurrected by his own power, having defeated sin and Satan and death. So church family, I say this with love in my heart based on the truth of God's word. Don't tell me that your situation is hopeless. Don't tell me there's nothing left for you but despair. Don't tell me that there's nothing at all that can get you through whatever it is that you are going through. I'm not downplaying the trials of this life. I am exalting the power of the one that we can call on for help. Friend, we have a nail-scarred Savior. We have a death-conquering King. We have a God who has eternal, eternal keeping power. And His name is Jesus. He is the image, Scripture says, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him, that's in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I Paul became a minister. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Listen, if Christ is all of that, and if He has done all of that, then don't you think that He is able to keep you through whatever difficulties you face along the journey of this life? Missionary Adoniram Judson said this, He has not led me so tenderly thus far to forsake me at the very gate of heaven. Friends, look to Jesus. 
Look to the cross. Look to the empty tomb every moment of every day. For the one who did not abandon you 2,000 years ago as he was abandoned on the cross by his father in your place will not abandon you today or tomorrow or the next day nor any day until that day when you breathe your last breath. And he won't abandon you then and he won't abandon you for all of eternity. Our problem is not that we have problems in this life. Our problem is not that no help is available The problem is that we so often look to the wrong things for the help we need. We look to creation instead of the creator, Jesus, the Savior and King. Friend, nothing in all in all of creation can compare to Jesus. So let me ask you, what are you looking for, looking to for help today? What are you looking to? Who are you looking to? What's on the front of your shirt? Whose number are you dialing? When things get tough, perhaps you're dialing the wrong number and you are left feeling hopeless and helpless, thinking there's no way to make it another day. Perhaps you're sinking in a sea of anxiety and worry and you're looking for rest for your soul in all the wrong places. Let me close with a story that I came across recently. The story goes like this. A number of years ago, Captain D commanded a vessel sailing from Liverpool to New York. And on one voyage, he had all his family with him on board the ship. One night, when all were quietly asleep, there arose a sudden squall of wind, which came sweeping over the waters until it struck the vessel and instantly threw her on her side, tumbling and crashing everything that was movable and awaking the passengers to a consciousness that they were in imminent peril. Everyone on board was alarmed and uneasy, the story goes, and and some sprang from their berths and began to dress that they might be ready for the worst. The captain had a little girl on board, just eight years old, who, of course, like the rest, awoke. And she she said in a frightened voice, what's the matter? What's the matter? And they told her a squall, a storm has has rocked the boat, has struck the ship. And she asked the question, she said, is father on deck? Yes, father's on deck, came the reply. The story goes that the little thing dropped herself on her pillow again without a fear and in a few moments was sleeping sweetly in spite of winds or waves. That story concluded with a little poem. This fear not the windy tempest wild thy bark they shall not wreck lie down and sleep O helpless child thy fathers on the deck. Friend, we have a father who is in control of all creation and he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Oh, how calm. Oh, how calm in the midst of trials is the one who lives daily at the foot of the cross, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so I urge you today, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Look to Jesus, the one who made you, the one who saved you, and the one who will sustain you to the end. If you've never looked to Jesus before in your life, if he's not keeping you today because you never trusted in him for salvation, then you have an opportunity right now to look to Jesus and cry out to him in repentance and faith and say, God, save me because of what Jesus did on the cross. And he will save you and he will begin keeping you from now, this day and forevermore. If you have called upon Christ for salvation, if you have trusted in him, then to you I say, keep looking to Jesus. Because Jesus is keeping you. Would you bow your heads?
I don't know what's on your heart and minds right now. I do know that every one of us needs to call out to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Because none of us in here is without a trial or a difficulty. It might be something big. It might be something small. It might be just a, just a, 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 a sin temptation, something we were t- or tempted with this morning. Maybe it's not something that we've been struggling with for a long time. Who knows? You do. God knows. So here's what I want you to do is just take a a couple of minutes. And in the quietness of your heart, I just want you to look to Jesus and ask him for help in your time of need.